Merry Christmas, everybody. How are we doing? It's good. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, I am. Uh, this is the second of our six uh, Christmas services this weekend, so thank you. You're getting it done early. I like that. Overachievers, you get it done. That way you have all of tomorrow to do the baking, all the... I forget the bacon eating, okay? I mean, that's tis a season, right? I mean, I feel like since Thanksgiving, that's all I've been doing. And, and uh, so there's a reckoning coming January 1st for me. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. I love that we get this time to celebrate. And, um, you know, when you, when you look at Christmas and celebrations, there's really two celebrations, right? There's, there, there's a religious one, and then there's, there's a non-religious. There's a secular one, right? And the secular would take the religious out, but you still see some similarities, right? So in in the, in the secular side, without Jesus, without the church, without religion, you still see families gathering. You still see families giving gifts. There's light shining, and then there's, there's compassion for, for those that are less fortunate. And I think, I think when, you, when you look at the religious end of that, there's all of that. And I would even argue that we should all be compassionate, not just at Christmas, but throughout the year, right? Especially on Highway 35, please. Um, but uh, um, but for, for believers in Christ, so the religious side, you know, we celebrate the gathering of families. We celebrate the lights. We celebrate compassion, and we want to have compassion on our, our neighbors. But what we really celebrate is the light of Christ who is shining into our life, that we couldn't rescue ourselves, and he brought the rescue. And, and, and I love celebrating Christmas. I love getting to be with my family. I love giving gifts. I love celebrating Christ. I love building stories. And I just, I'm, I'm a story guy. I mean, Heather makes fun of me because I love telling stories and, and we'll, be at, we'll be at dinner, we'll be at somebody's house, we'll be talking, even in the commons, and she'll go, okay, you short version, short version. So she's constantly telling me, short version, man, you know, and edited for TV, right? Um, so this, this will uh, happen in the allotted running time. But we all have a Christmas story, right? And, and some of our Christmas stories come from traditions, and I, I love asking people, so how do you celebrate? And, and somebody actually said to me a couple weeks ago, I celebrate when I realized I've survived it. Um, she was a mother, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's kind of how it is in our house. Uh, Heather does everything for Christmas. I just show up, you know, and, uh, and get to be a part of the festivities. She does the shopping. She does the wrapping. She does the decorating. Well, I do the, I do the grunt work. I'm the mule for the house. So I will get everything out of the attic. And so I just come in with the tree. I'm like, here you go, you know, and then, then I'm done. And then I'll put it up. January, February, March, I don't know. Maybe we should just celebrate it all year, right? Because not just having compassion at Christmas, have it all year. Just leave the tree up. See how you like it then. Um, but we, we have stories. And some people, this is, a, this is a time of year they just want to get through it. They don't want to celebrate. They just want to be done with it. And, and some people go all out. And, and, and I've got to say, sometimes we have a little bit of both, right? And, and, and I love Christmas. And, and one of the traditions is, is I'm from a big family, and so we gather, and it's just chaos and, and people, and I love it. And, and, and last year, I didn't want to celebrate because our kids from Canada, our oldest daughter and son-in-law and three of our grandchildren uh, live in Canada, and they were flying here Christmas Day, and so they, they, they made it to the Toronto airport, and then they canceled all the flights. And so I decided, uh-uh, I want my family. So I, I, I came up with this huge plan. I'm going to, we're, Heather, we're going to drive to get them. 
And so I go rent a minivan so we can all fit in it. Um, it's the only time you're going to see me in a minivan. But I go rent a minivan, and we just take off, man. We're heading up. So for Christmas lunch of 2022, I had Bucky's. <laughs> oh, you know, the turkey, no. Dressing, no. Mashed potatoes, no. Green, no, no, none of that. It was a kolache. <laughs> and we knew we were going to be in a hotel that night, but we got Bucky's finest charcuterie board. You know, I mean, it was just like plastic wrap. You know, I think it was beef jerky and cheddar cheese, but it said charcuterie board, so it sounded fancy. So I felt sophisticated eating it. Um, But we made it to Joplin, Missouri, and we hit a snowstorm. And then we find out they're shutting down highways, and we realize we're not going to be able to get there to get them. So we spent the night. At least we got a white Christmas at the Holiday Inn in Joplin, Missouri. We woke up early the next morning, defeated. We went to Denny's. You know, come on, it's an American institution, right? And uh, had breakfast, and we drove home. And so I didn't feel like celebrating Christmas last year. But praise God, our kids did come in. They were here in the last service, and they're going to be here for a couple weeks, and we get to celebrate. My house is chaos right now, and I love it. And, uh, you know, my dishwasher doesn't love it, but I love it. And, uh, and, and, and so we just, we all have these Christmas stories. And, and you know, when, it, when I think about Christmas, I... Uh, I kind of, I think about my own story, right? My life story, because you can't tell the life story of Jesus without his birth. And at Christmas is when we celebrate his birth. And when I think about my story of faith, my, it, it, I think about the things I went through and, and different traditions. And I grew up in church. My parents loved me and, and, and loved me enough to, to plant that seed in my life and, and to create that tradition of going to church. But I walked away from it. And I struggled with, with this idea because um, I just looked at things and, and, and I, I had a hard time reconciling. But I'm grateful. I thank God that, that he did bring me to a place like this. You know, because if you would have met me 23 years ago, you, you would have never placed any kind of bet in your life that I would be a pastor um, and standing here leading a church. I mean, that's the grace of God in action. But, but I believe there's a deeper meaning to things. I believe there's a deeper meaning to Christmas. I believe there's a deeper meaning in faith. And, and, and you know, when we talk about faith, people go, well, what's, what's the point of faith? And we, we just automatically assume because of faith, it's a religious thing or it's a Jesus thing. But here's the reality. Everybody has faith. It's just what is it focused on? I mean, when you look at the definition of faith, like the Merriman-Webster definition of faith, it's a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. And, and we all have a strong belief in something, and we believe in things that we can't prove. I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful for gravity. There's, this time of year, I need a little less, you know, so it'll, the scale kind of likes me a little bit better. But, uh, but I, uh, there's so many things we, we put our faith in, and, I, and, and I'll just share it with you where I was. I mean, I went through a time where, where I, I just, I grew up in church, but I walked completely away from it, and, and I just, I struggle with belief in God. I, I had these deep doubts, like, is this real? Is there something to this? And, and I would ask God, if you're real, then I need you to show me. Just, I would say, levitate me off the bed if, that's, if you're real. Do something that I, I know that I know I want to prove. But I went through a season where I put my faith in myself. 
You know, I put my faith in my own abilities. I put my faith in knowledge. And we do that. As, as, as humanity, we put our faith, we have a strong belief in things and, and even systems around us. I mean, we put our belief in self. We put our belief in our career. We put our, our faith in, in, we put our faith in politics. And I think we've seen quickly that there's proof enough that that's not going to satisfy anybody. It doesn't matter how you vote. It's a mess all the way around. I mean, I mean, I know that our, our nation is divided on politics, but one thing, every, every one of us can agree, it's a mess. But that's, I mean, so people put their faith in that. They put their faith in all these, these things like, like social programs, but, but ultimately where I struggled with that is, is I see all of these things that we as humanity are trying to do, but yet the world's not getting any better. They're just suffering, and it seems to be getting worse. And you would think that if we're growing, if we're, if we're getting smarter, if we're, if we're gaining in something, then, then things would be getting better. But where I struggled is it just not. And ultimately, I came to the point of wrestling, you know, with a, with a biblical definition of faith. The biblical definition of faith is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Because, see, I am a Christ follower, and the Bible is the foundation for my life. And when I look at what faith means in the Bible, it says, now, now faith is the, is the, is the is, some say evidence, and some say conviction. But Hebrews 11:1 1 says this. Uh, let me read it to you. I'll pull it up. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's not that there's no proof. But there's an assurance in that. And it's the conviction, and some translations say evidence. So evidence means proof of things not seen. And, and, and what I've come to find out is the focus, the evidence, is God, is God himself, is Jesus. That we come to a moment like this, and for some of you, you're here because of tradition. But have you ever stopped to wonder and think about some of the traditions we do and why we do them? It's like the little girl who went to her mom during Christmas dinner, and she said, Mom, why do you cut the end off of the ham? And she said, I don't know. That's what, that's what, that's what my mom did. So she goes to her mom's like, Mom, why, why, did, why do you cut the end off the ham every, every Christmas? She goes, I don't know. That's what my mom did. And, and there was enough generational time in their family. She went to great-grandma and said, Grandma, why do, you, why do you cut the end off the ham? She goes, when I was growing up, we didn't have a pan big enough for the ham. <laughs> so... We just get stuck in these traditions and, and never question why we do these things. But I think we're, we're called to question why. And, and I begin to question this thing called faith and, 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 and this focus on God. And, and uh, I, just, I just think it's interesting. I have conversations with people um, about faith. I'm a pastor. There's certain environments that I don't tell them I'm a pastor. And when they find out, we have, we have conversations about faith. And they're replaying all of their past conversations with me. Like, what did I say? Did I cuss at a pastor? I mean, you know, but it's funny watching that face. But, but I hear this a lot. And, and, and this is where I found myself for a time. I'm struggling to believe in God, or, or some will say I just can't or won't believe in God because of the amount of suffering I see in the world around me. I'm like, that's a fair thing, right? But, but as, I, as I was trying to figure out vocabulary for it, I had to come to this. You know, there could be many reasons that an infinite God would allow things that produce suffering. I just don't know the reasons because I'm finite. I mean, I realized there's a lot of things I don't know. And I mean, when I was a kid, I could come up with excuses for everything. 
But there's a lot of times as a pastor, I'm asked these questions about God, and I can't, I can't give an answer for why God allows suffering and why there is such deep suffering. But what it does point is to a bigger question. And that bigger question will lead to a deeper revelation. Let, let me read to you, let me read to you what uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books. It's called Mere Christianity. This is when he's, he's struggling with this idea of believing in God. He says this, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What I was comparing this universe, or what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never have known it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. You know, and so somewhere we have to filter and wrestle with this. Where do we get our idea of justice? Where do we get this idea of, of right or wrong? Because, you know, I love watching nature shows, and, and, and I love being in nature. But in nature, I mean, we see the weak survive. I mean, the, the strong survive. I was sitting, I was hunting with my father a couple weeks ago, and, and we're sitting there in this deer blind, and, and all, I hear this little noise out front, and I see all these quail walking on the ground. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm like they're, just, they're just cute, man. I'm, I wasn't quail hunting. So I, I was like, they're cute. They're delicious, but they're cute. Um, and I'm seeing them. And all of a sudden, I hear this noise. And a hawk swoops down, bam, and grabs one of the quail and flies about 20 yards off, 20 yards off and has dinner. And I'm looking at that going, it's the circle of life. You know, I mean, I was thinking, dude, you picked, you chose wisely, man. You, I mean, it's either that or kale. I mean, eat quail. I know I ordered quail, not kale. Um, but, but somewhere along the way, you know, we, we say in, the, in, in like the natural world, it's, this is okay. But in the human world, it's not okay, right? That we should have compassion. We should have grace. That we, sh- we should be loving towards one another. And so what, what, what I would argue is we, can, we have a standard that doesn't come from this world. I mean, we can only judge suffering as wrong if we're using a standard higher than this world, which would be a supernatural standard. It's a standard that we look at much, much greater than just all the, the, the laws of nature. And that, that kind of sets us apart. And so then what, we, what, I, what I got to at this point is like, well, if there is no God, then there's no reason for me to be upset with all the suffering because ultimately I have no one to blame except humanity, right? I mean, if there is no God, then, then, then we are the ones who have who've royally messed this up. And the truth is we have. But what I, what I had to reconcile was it took more faith for me not to believe in God than for me to say there is a God. There are so many things I don't understand about God. But I believe that, that there is something. I mean, I, I even sat with two Marines who were both in the same battle. 
And, and one went in believing in God and came out not believing in God because he said, I saw the horrors of war and reconciled in my mind that there can be no God with all that. One Marine I spoke with went in an atheist. His father told him at 10 years old, said, son, there is no God, there's only Marines. In the last service, I, and then I was waiting to hear this, ooh, Rob, okay. But, um, <laughs> but so he went in, and he said, I let, my, I, let, I let my men still read their Bibles, and there was a couple guys that did a Bible study, and I would listen in on it, and I'm thinking, man, what? But he said, when, I, when we got into the heat of that battle, it struck me that there has to be something restraining what's going on. He said, because I have seen how broken humanity can be. And so we, we have a choice in that, right? We see the suffering and we see the brokenness around us. And we have a choice on what we're going to believe. And whether, even if we choose not to believe in God, doesn't mean it's unreal. And so there, there is this object of faith. And the thing is, is that the definition said that we strongly believe in something with no proof. But, but as Christians, I have proof. That, you know, the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus was witnessed 2,000 years ago. And I'm not a witness to, that, to that, that moment in history, but how I have proof today is my experience with a crucified and resurrected Savior. Because I, was, I had to reconcile the brokenness of this world versus someone who loves this world, and his name is Jesus. And so who is this Jesus Christ that we celebrate his birth when we celebrate Christmas and we celebrate him being the light who's come into the world? And I want to take you back to one of the passages in Scripture. It's not a Christmas passage, but, man, it really opened my eyes to, to who Jesus Christ is. And, and Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. Christ is his title. Jesus the Christ is Jesus the Messiah. And this is Colossians chapter 1. This is one of the most impactful, world-rocking pieces of Scripture that has ever impacted my life. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. You might have heard that if you've grown up in church, and that's part of your tradition. The incarnate Word of God is that the Word of God takes on flesh. That's John 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, that, that He's known as the incarnate Word of God. He's the very image of the invisible God. And it says that, that he is firstborn of all creation, which means he preexisted before creation. That, that we celebrate his birth, but that's not, the, that's not the beginning of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. And, and, and what we see is that he, through his ministry and his life, even historical documents, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is real. And then we look at verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he's the focus, he's the centerpiece of creation. It was by him, through him, and for him. That you and I, just as he is the image of the invisible God, you and I are created in God's image. The problem is that there's a brokenness that happened in creation, 
at the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and the original sin, that you and I are now a byproduct of that decision. We're a byproduct of that nature that became sin that severed the connection with, with the creator and creation. And thus, we now have a broken system where, yes, suffering and death and all of the things that we despise, that, that we get angry about, that's what we exist in. And that it was broken. And so the focus of creation became anything other than Jesus Christ and, and God because of our fall, of our decisions. And then in verse 17, this is where the, 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 he says that he holds all things together. In him, all, so in him. And, and, and see, I, I can just tell you that as a Christ follower, the reason that that means so much to me is as much as can be falling apart around me, and as much as chaos and turmoil, brokenness and suffering around me, that he's holding something together in me. That there's times where I feel like I should be losing it, but he's got me and he's holding me together. He, he is that glue and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. It's because of his resurrection. So this firstborn from the dead is a reference to his resurrection. And so he's the head of the church, not just this Creek church, but the church is the body of Christ. And he's the head. And listen, the church is not perfect. Far from it. But the head of the church is. And so often we judge the head by, by us, right? We want to judge the goodness of God by how, how broken we are, right? But we have this head of the church. It says in verse 19, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is God. That he, he's, it's in Matthew 1, 23, and behold, a virgin shall conceive and she will give birth and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what that says when we say Jesus is God, that, that Jesus is coexisting as an equal partner in the Trinity, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This shows me just the grandeur of God, the bigness of God. But it goes on. It's not just who he is, but what did he do? What was so important? And it says that in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he reconciles us through his cross. What I find amazing, and as you look at verse 21, it says, and you, it's me, it's us who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. See, that just shows us that the suffering that we see is produced by us because that's our ability. But yet what we celebrate with, with Jesus who is called the Christ is that he stepped into our darkness, our brokenness, our suffering and suffered himself so that we could be reconciled so that creation and creator could be reconciled again. And that, that's the powerful thing for me because, because my response to that is worship. My response to that is faith, right? It, it's, it's focused faith, right? So, so if we're going to continue in this, it's verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. So it's faith that is focused on Christ. Instead of... When I, get, when I get 
into my own world and my own head, I, I can easily let my faith get focused on other things, my security, my ability, you know, or, or, hey, things are actually calm right now, so yeah, my faith is in that, but then that gets rocked, but ultimately, he says, you continue in faith in this gospel, this good news. What is the good news? That God wrapped himself in flesh and made his dwelling among us and took on our brokenness and took on our shame and took on our suffering himself so that he could reconcile us. And yes, there is still suffering around me, but listen, it makes my faith stronger because I know that he is working in it and he's working through it. And I wish I had an answer for every ounce of suffering we face, but I don't but I know who can reconcile it and who can redeem it. And that faith in Jesus is what makes me a Christian. And as a Christian, I believe that God broke the silence and that he stepped into our darkness. And I believe that Jesus was born to rescue me, who I could not rescue myself. And my faith is in Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected. Do I understand every? piece of that? No. But I believe it. Does my faith make me perfect? Absolutely not. But my faith in Christ means I'm submitting myself to a process of letting him work on me. And I will be perfect. The culmination of that will be when I'm looking at him face to face. And so my hope, my hope for you is that, that this, this Christmas weekend, coming to a Christmas service isn't just a, a tradition you don't think about, but you truly step back and ask, ask God some of the bigger questions. And if you don't believe, what an incredible moment to say, God, show me, give me some revelation. You might not get the answers you're looking for, but I can tell you who you'll get when you really seek him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you did. And just as you revealed yourself to the world by taking on flesh 2,000 plus years ago, you came into the silence, the darkness, and the suffering. And your word, God, is not just a story. It's the revelation of the struggle we find ourselves in and the hope that you sent in Jesus. So Jesus, your life, your death, and your resurrection We thank you for that. We thank you because in that, our faith has a substance that we can stand on. Our faith has an evidence because we know what you are doing in our life. And I ask you to open hearts and minds to experience you and your grace. And may your light shine in us. In Jesus' name, amen.